And uh, it is such a pleasure and a privilege to have this morning Jimmy Jack return to us. Would you give a hand as Jimmy Jack comes up here? Amen. Did you enjoy him last year? You're going to really enjoy him this year. He's going to be with us all day. I want to remind you, all day, tonight, 6.30 p.m., say 6.30 with me. The rest of the week, it's 7 o'clock, but tonight, 6.30. Jimmy, it's such a privilege to have you with us. And I got surprised this morning. Uh, My parents walked in, and I'm going to ask my dad, who went to school with David Wilkerson, to come up and pray the anointing upon you just before you preach. Amen. So good to see you. Heavenly Father, this dear man of God has come with a message to give to this congregation. And Lord, may we pay attention and take heed to the word that you have left upon his heart and mind and soul, spirit, to deliver to us right now under the precious, sweet anointing of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, quicken our own minds and hearts to receive What message you have given to Jim, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Praise God. Give Jesus a big shout out. Come on. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Bless you, bless you, bless you. I have my book, I Can Dream Again, and it's uh, my life story mixed with a whole lot of stuff with Brother Dave. He's forwarded, and uh, just an incredible uh, testimony. It's outside, and uh, please get one, and, uh, you know, whatever you give, it goes right to the Ministry of Saving Souls, and uh, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll pass it on and give it to somebody. I held a world record in all of Teen Challenge, a world record. We have 1,600 Teen Challenge programs in 125 countries for the last 60 years. It's grown. We have 35,000 beds. And it's been a phenomenon what God has done in Teen Challenge. And I hold the world record. I hold the world record. This is it. The most family members that went through Teen Challenge. The kid. You read? In fact, uh, uh, I have 50 family members, no exaggeration, 50 family members that went through Teen Challenge. And uh, chapter 4, I think it is, it's Brother Dave, and Brother Dave helped me title chapter 4, but I told him at that time, it was 28 family members, and, and he looked at me with his Coke bottle lenses and prophetic eyes, and I thought I was getting a prophetic word. He said, boy, you got a messed up family, don't you? I'm not kidding. That was it. So that's chapter four. Boy, you got a messed up family. But Brother Dave, he redeemed himself. He told me I have a miracle family. But anyway, it's an incredible journey that God has taken us through. And uh, I learned a couple of things about something I want to share with you today, and it's on evangelism. And you know, our conference here today, and I love the text, Isaiah 61, and that's my text, and I didn't know that was the theme of this conference. So we're in tune today. And I'd like to read a portion of scripture from Isaiah 61. Could I have all of you stand with me for the reading of God's word? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Isaiah 61. I want to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Powerful, powerful portion of scripture. One of my favorite portions of scripture. Isaiah wrote this prophesying... He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the reopening of doors to those who are bound and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Listen to this. To comfort all who mourn and to console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, 
and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be trees planted by the waters of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this portion of scripture. I pray for a touch from heaven. God, Lord, I pray for our hearts, Lord, that you would do something special in our hearts today. That, God, you would help us beat with compassion. Bring us alive and help us to hear the cry of the hurting and the wounded. Lord, help us to move in compassion, God. Not be desensitized or distracted, but, Lord, let this word go forth with us with power and unction. Change us today, God. Change us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Don't sit, don't sit. I want you to do this. The Bible says, I do this all over the world, and I I think I did it last year, if you'll remember. The Bible says in 1 John 4, he who's born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. Say victory with me. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Now, the original Greek word for victory is Nike. Did you know that? It's Nike. Come on. You know why I get upset? Because Nike stole our logo and stole our money. Come on. Look, because a true Nike isn't one that knows how to bounce a ball or kick a ball or put a ball in a hoop. A true Nike, according to the word of God, is one who knows the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who has faith in the great I am. Come on, Nikes. So therefore... I want you to do this. I do it all. Put two hands toward heaven. Now, wait with me. And when I say go, you give your neighbor on your right a high, double high five, and your neighbor on the left a double high five, and tell them you've got the victory. One, two, three, go! Give them a double high five. Tell them you've got the victory. Amen. One more praise. One more praise to the real Nike. You may be seated. Jesus said, let's do it. Amen. I love the story about this elderly woman. You know, there's, there's, I'm not allowed to say old ladies, but elderly woman. And uh, how many here know there's four types of people who will tell you what it is, who tell you who you are? An elderly woman. Amen. A child. The mentally ill. And a disgruntled congregant. Boy, they'll tell you. You know what I'm saying, right? Amen. But anyway, this elderly woman says she wakes up in the morning and every morning she comes out six in the morning, blesses the Lord. Lord, I thank you, Jesus. I love you and thank you, God. You're so awesome. And she does it all the time next to her house, uh, next to her neighbor's house is up for rent. Who moves in but an atheist? And an atheist comes out just at the exact time when she's doing her message to the Lord every morning and he can't believe it. He shakes his head. So he gets comfortable and all of a sudden one morning he's out and you know, you know how atheists are, you know, atheists, you know, I, I don't really see a, a, an atheist who's really joyful because I think they're really spiritually constipated and they need like a movement, you know, I mean, because, because all day long, they got to sit there and go, there is no God. There is no God. Every time I look, look, I look at Gary and I know there's a God. Amen. This is Pastor Gary, one of my graduates, 1993. He's rocking the world for Jesus. He's a pastor now. Used to be a bank robber and all kinds of crazy stuff. Amen. Hey, now he's robbing the devil. Come on. So anyway, so he's running off. So finally, she says, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Bless you this day. And all of a sudden, he yells out, Jesus is dead and there is no God. He runs off all messed up, you know. And so every morning this is going on. She gets up. Jesus, thank you, God. I love you. Bless you today. And there is no Jesus. Jesus is dead and and God's there's no God. He runs off. And then all of a sudden, one morning, the elderly woman gets up and says, thank you, Jesus, and bless you, Lord. And Lord, I need groceries. Would you provide for me this day? So all of a sudden, the atheist is smiling. He goes, Jesus is dead. There is no God. He's smiling. Why? He goes to work. He comes out of work at 6 o'clock, goes to the store, and buys six bags of groceries, steaks, eggs, every hooks up. Gets up extra early in the morning, like the Grinch, and he puts it over to the old lady's house, six bags of hook-up groceries. And there he is, waiting for his moment. And he's all excited. And she gets up and says, Jesus, I love you, and thank you, Lord, for providing these groceries for me this day. 
And he goes, there is no Jesus. He's dead. And God didn't provide those groceries for you. I provided those groceries for you. And she goes, Jesus, I thank you, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for providing these groceries for me this day and making the devil pay for it. Come on. How many here ready to make the devil pay for it? He's going down. Come on. In this message that I want to share with you, I want to share some thoughts and really some actions because the title of my message is this, Compassion, God's Love and Action. Say that with me. Compassion, God's Love and Action. Think about that because that really is the definition of compassion, God's Love and Action. I like soul winning, amen? How many here like soul winning? How many here called to be soul winning? How many remember the soul train back in the day, Amen. Time to get on the soul winning train. Amen, pastor. And so, listen, I just want to share a couple of things with you that I've learned over the years in evangelism. And I want to share them with you. But really, my heart is this and my prayer is this at the end. I want to challenge everybody to step out and ask God to to take care of that heart. That we could be, be in tune with the hurting people of the world. Boy, are we in a distracted society. People are walking around Manhattan, falling into stairways, into puddles, because they're on texting, just walking like this. Boy, are we locked in and desensitized. How can we hear the cry of a hurting people when we get the phone to our, to our nose? Amen? Come on, some of you need to get off of Facebook and get in his book. Come on, it's time to get off of Facebook and get in the Lord's book. But anyway, I just share some thoughts with you today, because I believe... Without a question that the greatest accomplishment a believer can have is one who's led somebody to the Lord. I believe that is one of the greatest accomplishments a human being, a Christian can have, is sharing your message and literally leading somebody to the salvation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Think about all the things we accomplish. And they're good, cool. You know, we have a house, we have a car, we have this, we have that. But there's no greater blessing than to lead someone to the Lord. In fact... The Bible says when one sinner repents and comes to the Lord, it says a host of heavenly angels in heaven rejoice. Amen. They're partying in heaven when somebody gets saved. Tell you, when we have rocked the blocks, man, we go out and party. What do we do? We lead hundreds to the Lord. And whenever I do, I always say at the end, I say, Lord, I rejoice with the angels in heaven. They're partying today because somebody got saved. Come on. We need to go out there and get someone saved. Some of you need to tell your face it got saved. You walk around all gone. Smile. I know Jesus loves you. Amen. Brother Dave Wilkinson preached a message called the salvation of your face. He did. Some of us got to tell our face we got saved today. Amen. Smile. Jesus loves you. Hallelujah. But, you know, it's so vital. In fact, the Bible attributes wisdom to soul winners. Proverbs eleven thirty. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. James 5, 19 to 20 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and so in turns his back... Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. We're called to do that, folks. Listen, do you know there's people out there waiting to get saved? They really are. They're wondering, where are the people that have a heart crying out for the needs of the people instead of the needs of their church? Where are the people that are that are self-sacrificing? Where are they? There's people out there and God has a scroll for you. He really does. I share this all the time. When you get saved, there's a scroll. And who's on those names? Unsaved people that you're to minister to. God has a list of people. It's ordained. God works like that. He does, he's just not a crazy, let's do it and everything's going to work out. Throw a No, no. God is a God of order. I know for a fact that God has a list for me. That God has called me to save and to share the love of Jesus Christ so they could get saved. Billy Graham said this. They're just waiting. Billy Graham said this. I never known anybody who has ever regretted being redeemed by the Lord. Amen. How many here regret being saved? Nobody. (laughs) And, And there's people just waiting to get saved. All of us are called to win souls. We're called to be an evangelist. We are. Now I know there's a five-fold ministry. I get it. Apostle, prophet, 
teacher, evangelist, and, and so on, and pastor. Now, that's a five-fold ministry, I understand, because out of the five-fold ministry, my main ministry and gift is evangelism. It always has. I always knew it. When I first got saved, very easy for me to lead people to the Lord. It comes natural to lead people to the Lord. I've had to learn to be a pastor. I really do. I'm still not a good pastor. I tell everybody that. I'm an all right apostle. I got a little prophetic word once in a while. You know, I'm a good teacher once in a while, but I'm an evangelist. Amen. I get that. But I believe I have a part of all fivefold ministry, not because I'm a leader in the church, because everybody does. Think about it, mom and dads. Are you a pastor at home? Absolutely. Are you a teacher at home? Absolutely. You're an apostle at home. You're a builder or developer. Yes, you are. How many here have a pastor? It's your family, your kids. You've got to teach your kids. How many here have a prophetic ministry? How many moms had to speak into their daughters and sons' life? How many fathers had to speak into their children's life? We have a prophetic word. Amen. And how many here are called to be an evangelist? All of us. I mean, think about it. If you got a prophetic word, how many, how many times has, has wives spoken a prophetic word into their husbands? Right, Becky, how many times you had to speak it to, a lot, amen. How many times has he spoken to you? Not too much. You just back off, amen. By the way, I want to thank you for letting me out, come out, appreciate that, because I know you had to approve it, even though he tells everybody he's approved it. I know it runs by you. <laughs> amen. But think about it. So what is evangelism? Uh, the word evangelist or eugelistis is bringing a good tidings, a bringer of good tidings. It also says this in the definition of the Greek, the name given to the New Testament heralds of salvation through Christ. It means a preacher of the gospel. Amen. You know, I had the wonderful opportunity to literally be trained by Brother Dave one-on-one in his crusades. I'll tell you more, more of that. But I got a letter from Brother Dave that I cherish that not many people get. And here's what it said. Dear Brother Jimmy, I just want to let you know how pleased I am that you and your ministry have such a zeal for evangelism. That's how we started 50 years ago. And thankfully, you have kept the vision for lost souls. I want you and your staff to know that's been a tremendous blessing to me personally. Very few people get that. So we have an incredible heart for evangelism. We love to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the streets. And folks, I want to tell you here today, God's got a word for you. And what it is, you can't evangelize if you have a hard heart. You're not going to hear it. You know, folks, I, I, I love what, what, what we talk about. Often we say it's like broken people are able to minister to broken people. They do. We hear hurt people, hurt people. Forget that. But broken people know how to minister to broken people. Why? Because you're able to hear their their cry. You ever know? And how many of here have ever been broken? Raise your hand. How many here have ever been hurt, taken advantage of? All of us have. We could turn that into a bitterness, or we could turn it into blessedness. Amen. Listen, folks. You got to understand that God wants to use you even in your brokenness, and God has to break you so He could remake you. Are you hearing me? That's what, that's what Jeremiah 18, the potter's house. God wants to remake you. Can't I do what I want? How many here know that we're imperfect? Amen. But God uses our imperfection so he can use his perfection. And we take our imperfection and his perfection. We get a power from God that can save anybody from sin. Amen. Because we're just a bunch of sinners. You know what evangelism is? Evangelist is, is this, because I might forget it, but it's his evangelist. It's one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. That's all it is. One beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. I love those declarations from our forefathers that went before us. Those cries, what evangelism. Listen to this. Evangelism is the sob cry of God over his lost people. Evangelism is the cry of Paul for salvation of his kinsmen and countrymen. I love what, what, what John Knox said in evangelism. He says, this is John, John Knox. He said, his proclamation, give me Scotland or I die. Amen. These are old, 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 old patriots that went before us. John Wesley, his declaration, you have one business on earth and that's to save souls. I love Billy Sunday. It says this in his prayer, Billy Sunday, make me a giant for God. Evangelism is the desperate cry of parents in the night weeping over a wayward child. 
Evangelism is the mission of the church to go out and seek that which is lost. I want to tell you folks here today, I love having church. I love when you're hallelujah and it breaks out and, and we start dancing. Oh, we had church. Oh, you had church. What's church? Did God change you? Can I tell you what church is? This is a scrimmage where pastor is the coach. He's teaching you how to run with the gospel. So when you leave these doors and you enter into the real game of the world, you could be a light in darkness, not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody give him a shout. I'm ready to run out there with all of you and just preach the gospel. Stop the traffic. Drag people out of the cars and lay hands on them. Why not? <laughs> we have a good, listen, we'll bring attention to this church. It'll be filled next week, I'm telling you. <laughs> let me give you a couple of teachings, because now I'm a teacher. I'm just kidding. But let me give you some thoughts and some, something I learned. Because number one, let me give you three, three types of compassion that I want to share with you. Because there's number one I want to share is compassion with courage. Compassion with courage. You need courage. You need boldness so you can get out and share what's in your heart. You need that boldness when you're in an elevator to literally say, Sir, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ loves you. Has a call on your life. Amen? You see, folks, when you get that, you'll understand. Because some of you think, oh, I'm not a Jimmy Jack. I'm not a Pastor Phil. I can't do that. No, listen. listen, let me just give you two incredible dynamics. How you can have courage in reference to evangelism because i believe there's two categories of evangelism number one it's called power evangelism and number two it's called personal evangelism let me give you this and i think you'll like it number one what is power evangelism power evangelism saving the multitudes it's Moses to the children of Israel, Jonah to the Ninevites, Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, Peter, they are Pentecost, Paul to the, to, to the multitudes, Billy Graham to the multitudes, it's Reinhardt Bonnke, it's our Rock the Brock Crusades where we get up and we preach to the multitudes and thank God for power evangelism, saving the multitudes. God uses power evangelism though more as a seed planter than a harvest reaper. Let me say it again, and I'm going to prove this fact that blow your mind. God uses power evangelism more as a seed planter than a harvest reaper. Thank God for it. Watch what I mean, because the second category of evangelism is defined under this. Personal evangelism is one soul at a time. We call it one-on-one encounters. Moses with Joshua, David with Jonathan, Elijah with Elisha, Paul with Timothy, Jesus with his disciples. Personal one-on-one evangelism. Power evangelism, saving the multitudes. Personal evangelism, one soul at a time. Not everybody's called to be a power evangelist, but all of us are called to be a personal evangelist. Can, do you agree with that? Now, let me give you something that says it blow your mind. It blew my mind. I was at Shea Stadium, 1996. Promise Keepers. New York's Promise Keepers, Shea Stadium. And so, Shea Stadium, uh, Promise Keepers was a phenomenon. Bill McCartney, coach for a profession, professional football coach, God put it on his heart. For him to gather 50,000 men, I went to Georgia, I don't know if you ever went to Georgia, Promise Keepers, 50,000, 60,000 pastors at one time. But at Shea Stadium, New York, I went in 1996, and something really touched my heart. And it was this, Paul, McCart- Paul McCartney, Bill McCartney got out. And he literally shared about the, the, the power of one-on-one evangelism. How we're called, men, to preach the gospel. He shared not everybody's called to be a power evangelist. In fact, he said this. Watch the numbers here because numbers don't lie. 50,000 people. He said, I want all of you to stand up when I say go. If you've been saved at a crusade. Now, out of 50,000 people passing, try to put some numbers together. Go ahead. How many do you think stood up? Do you know how many stood up? I'm sitting. I'm watching. Now, how many stood up? Three to 5,000 people. That's it. Then he said, sit down. Then he said, how many have you been saved by one-on-one evangelism? 45,000 people stood. 
Numbers don't lie. Oh, thank God for the most, thank God for the crusades. Because they, they didn't say that if you ever go to a crusade, if he would have said that, they probably 50,000 might have stood. Cause, cause most of them have been at a crusade somewhere or another, probably. But here's what happens. You see, folks, thank God for the sowing of seeds. But the reality is, it's that one-on-one evangelism that we're called to bring that seed into the kingdom of God. You gotta bring Bring it home, brother. Bring it home, brother. Amen. And so they did a study. And they did this study in the 70s. I found this study incredible about evangelism. During the Jesus movement, you remember back in the 70s, boy, do we need another Jesus movement. Amen. Back in the 70s, many, many people are getting saved all over the place. It was, a, it was an incredible move of God. So they did a study back in the 70s. They interviewed thousands of people. And they asked this question, how many times... Did you get witness to before you gave your heart to Jesus? Good question, amen? Guess what the poll was? Seven times. Seven times. Seven times. I can remember me. I remember the encounters. I could tell you probably ten times myself. But listen, what does that say? One sows. Another waters, but God gives the increase. What does that say? No matter what, when you evangelize, it makes a difference. You could be one, five, six, or praise God, you might be the seven. The key is, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and let God give the increase, and he always does. Hallelujah. Thank God for power evangelism. Billy, uh, Billy Graham has led millions and millions to the Lord. But God has something. Listen, co- listen, compassion with courage. So we have the story of Jesus, and I love Jesus' ministry. Jesus is so awesome. How many of you agree with that? That just isn't a cliche. He's powerful. In fact, I want, I want to show you something here with this chair. Let me just set this up, because here's Jesus. He's in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. He defeats Satan, the three major temptations of the world, lust of the eyes, pride of life, and lust of the flesh. Those were the temptations to which Adam and Eve were were, were manipulated in. It's the same temptation here. It's the same temptation every one of us are going to be tempted with. Lust of the flesh, pride of life, and and the lust of the eyes. So he defeats Satan in your face with the word of God. The word says, amen? So he comes out. And Jesus is ready, ready to go to work. He comes out of the wilderness, but where does he go? The Bible says, as his custom, he goes to the temple. And he goes to the temple, and guess what he's handed? He's handed the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, as we know it. Jesus gets up, and he's standing. What does this seat mean? In every temple, Jewish temple, if they're on target, and they're Jewish temple, they really are, are focusing. There is a chair in every Jewish temple. It's called the Messiah seat. In that day, there was a Messiah seat. Nobody sits in that Messiah seat until Messiah comes back. Are you following me? Now you're getting this if you know Luke chapter 4, verses 16. He's handed the prophet Isaiah. And there in chapter 16, chapter 4, verse 16, what does he do? He opens it up. And he's got it memorized and he just quotes it. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to give sight, recover his sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the Bible said, Jesus closed the book and sat down and said, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Hallelujah. You know what he was saying? It's game on. It's game on. Listen, when you get saved, you got to say, it's game on. What do I want to do at the end of my life? What do I want my life to say? He was Jimmy Jack. And what was his goal? That if he could bring as many souls into the kingdom of God before he dies. It's game on. Come on, say it's game on. Boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. David Wilkinson Crusades were awesome. I'm a student in David Wilkinson Crusades, right? And, and so I'm six months in, 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 in Brooklyn Teen Challenge. And I'm, I'm on fire. I'm all excited, you know. And so, you know, because you get this fire shut up in your bones. And, and so, so, so um, all of a sudden, oh, during these crusades, they would have people from Oklahoma, Dakota. They would come out for like two weeks. And they would 
pay to evangelize in the street during their vacation time. I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not getting this, but I'm trying to get this. I'm like, you guys are nuts. I was like, I'm still learning this thing. And I know this is, but you know, but you, are you for real? This is your, man, you, they were like crazy, crazy people on fire for God. They had Bibles. I mean, you could tell them they weren't from New York. They had like boat sneakers, you know, knapsacks, shorts. We call them mugger magnets. They were like, you're going to get mugged. He's going to get mugged. Because if I was a dopey out there, I said, you're the one I would get your money. So I'd say, be careful. Stay in a group, please. Because you're going to get mugged, you know, mugger magnets. But anyway. But they had zeal. So, so my goal to evangelize, even six months of the program, my job was set up stages for Brother Dave. And then at the altar call, I would bond with somebody. And I always tell, whenever I teach evangelists, to get to know people at your, in, in your atmosphere. Shake their hand. Let, let them know. Give them a hot dog. something. So, so my goal was if anybody intimidated me, that's the person I would go after. So now that it's on, Brother Dave's preaching. I'm looking for my, my, my next victim for the gospel. <laughs> So there's this dude over here, I'm not, true story, it's a Puerto Rican dude or Spanish, whatever, and he's foaming from the mouth. He looks whacked out. I go, oh, you know, he's intimidated. I say, that's my guy, I, yeah, Mr. Do you mean possessed? I guess I gotta go speak to him. So I, I go over and I said, excuse me, sir. I said, that's David Wilkson, phenomenal preacher. And he's gonna give an altar call a little while. What does that mean? He presents the gospel. And if anybody wants to go up and receive Jesus, he'll give it to him. And if you would like, I'll go up with you if you want to go. I'm not kidding. His head did it. 360. And he looked at me and said, you want to try to get this demon out of me? I was no, not the kid. And I was like, I'm six months in this thing. I did read about the seven sons of Sceva. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. I don't know you. And they stripped them naked. I want to keep my clothes on that day, you know. But I said this. I said, but I know who will. And there's about eight or ten Oklahomaites. Oh, there's this guy named Henry. There's this kid, this guy who's 84 years old. He touched me more than anybody. He's 84. His back's frozen, so he has a hunched back, skinny chicken legs, and all, all he did all day was give tracks out. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. That's a track guy. And so, and I'm learning all this stuff. So anyway, try, so I go, hey, fellas, what? Look over there. I go, what? I go, that guy's got a demon. They go, where? I go, right there. I'm not kidding. They ran after him. They run. They ran. Get their Bible. All of a sudden, they jump on the dude. And he's swinging. And they hit him with the Bible. And preaching. And they're all, I'm not kidding. And it was like the 84 pastor. Remember? In the 80s, they were like buckets. Puked the demon out. And they were naming the demons. I pick up quick on that stuff. So this guy runs. And they're running out. He dies in the ground. True story. He starts digging. I'm going, he's got a moldy. It's a moldy. I don't know what I'm doing. But anyway, so they jump after and like digging with him. I'm not true story. All of a sudden he gets up. He runs toward Brother Dave. And I go, oh, so my thing jumps in. Like I got to go tackle this guy. But an angel, I think, tapped him. He dives into the bushes. True story. Seven or eight of these guys dive and they just climb into the bushes. You see his head pop up. They hit him with a Bible. It comes down. He's up like this. He's down. Bushes are in the air. You got Henry. Henry, the old man, sticking a track in the guy's ear. Like, here's a, I'm not kidding. I was, I was back up going, this is awesome. This, these guys are nuts. And man, after about 20 minutes beating on this guy, he surrenders, gives his life to Jesus, and goes into Teen Challenge. That's evangelism. Come on. That's compassion with courage. Amen? Hallelujah. Compassion with courage. Jesus said it's on. Some of the greatest evangelists are those who are, who are, who are newly born. Born again. Amen? I love it. The woman at the well. Born again. When you go into the city, preach the whole city. On fire for God. Amen? Because when you first get saved, you don't know that you're not allowed to tell people about Jesus all the time. What is that? Where does that come from? You're going to offend somebody. So what? My dentist is working on me, right? And he's a Christian. And so, and I know he's a Christian. I talk to him all the time. And I'm always fired up. I come in, hallelujah, Dr. Barkow. Hit him on the back, you know. Anyway, so he's working on my teeth. He's drilling me. And now he's got me down. He starts telling me this. He goes, you know, Jimmy, when I first got saved, I was like you. I would tell everybody, praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. But I realized that I was offending people. And I might, like, have less customers than I do to. And I'm going, he's going, I spit this thing out of my mouth. I said, Dr. Barkow, you lost your first love. So what if you offend people? Offend them out of hell and into heaven. Good. Go offend people with the truth. Come on, somebody. 
Offend me. <laughs> Amen. I need Jesus. Please offend me. Go out with compassion, with courage. You have that incredible deep throbbing in your heart. You have a fire shut up in your bones. And you just can't contain it. Amen. You can't hold it back. Hallelujah. That fire comes in, man. It's just burning. It's burning in your heart. I love it when you get fired up. Because when you get fired up, things happen. Things change. You know, you know. I, I love the story. I think I told it here uh, uh, last year. Um, but anyway, there's my friend is the executive director of Johannesburg South Africa Teen Challenge. We ministered together. So he's telling me his story. And they had like a street rally in this marketplace in South Africa, in Johannesburg. And so the evangelist is out there and he preaches the gospel and he gives an altar call. And as he gives the altar call, he's laying on people's hands. He's praying. And at the very end of the, of the, of the altar call, the pastor's tired, this drug addict pothead comes up and says, excuse me, pastor. He says, what? He's all messed up. He goes, I want your Bible. Can you give me your Bible? He goes, what do you want my Bible for? He said, because those pages in there, I could use to roll my marijuana and smoke my chiba. And I was like, for, he was like, so, so the pastor is, listen, he said, thank God he's anointed and he's in the spirit. He looks at him, is you for real? He goes, yeah. He goes, I tell you what, if I give you my Bible, you commit one thing to me. He said, what? That you read every page before you smoke it. And the guy says, you got it, pastor. And he gives him his Bible. Two years goes by, true story. And the pastor is back in the marketplace. He's preaching and so on. And then as he gives an altar call, everybody's there. He lays his hand. Suddenly, this young man comes walking up. And he's got a Bible in his own, all clean cut. He says, excuse me, pastor. He says, do you remember me? He says, no, I, I never seen you before in my life. He says, lad, says, do you remember two years ago when the drug addict pothead came up and asked for your Bible because he could roll his marijuana with the pages of that Bible? He goes, yeah. He goes, that's me. He goes, get out of here. He said, what happened? He said, well, I smoked Matthew. <laughs> he said, then pastor, I smoked Mark. He said, and pastor, I smoke Luke. He said, but pastor, when I got to John, John smoked me. Come on. You got to let the word of God smoke you and set you on fire. And you'll have courage to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Compassion with courage. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Amen. And you preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted. There's so many people out there waiting to get saved. Remember this, folks. Remember this, and I'll tell you my story. No matter how many people are hardened, curse you out, act like they, that you're an idiot with the gospel. I know it. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Don't ever forget it. You know the story. Paul and Silas are in the Philippian jail. They're, they're yeah, fed is on. They're handcuffed. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing hymns and praises to God. We love that because we know what happened. The earthquake came, prison doors opened up. But before that, verse 25, part one says, at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing hymns and praises to God. But part two of verse 25 says, and the prisoners were listening. Let that resonate. Because I know. If anybody can tell you, I can. Because I would curse my sister out. And I would tell her a born-again freak. I don't need that. Soon as I turned my back on them, my heart was crying out for what they had. I was listening. I'm not stupid. Drug addicts aren't stupid. They're just idiots. <laughs> but they're, but they're, in fact, they're pretty sharp. Because they learn how to read and hustle to steal. They're, they're sharp. They can know when somebody really cares for them. Because nobody will ever really care what you know until they really know that you care. Can I say it again? Nobody will really care what you know until they really know that you care. And when you have compassion, they'll read that. If you can say to them, I love you. I want to tell you, it breaks a multitude of sins. Courage, amen. The prisoners are listening. The prisoners are listening. Have that in your spirit. Number two. Compassion with courage, but number two is compassion with a commitment. Jesus ever liveth for intercession for you. Never leave you nor forsake you. His, he's committed to you. Think about how committed Jesus is to you. 
And, and what type of commitment do we have? I'm thank God they didn't give up on me. They kept preaching. Even I kept cursing. They kept preaching. I love Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. It says this. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. Compassion will never fail you. Compassion will never fail you. I don't care what happens, how angry they get. I was with Wayne, came into the program with Wayne. And Wayne Robinson was a violent, crazy lunatic. When he came into Teen Challenge, an earring in his ear, to his nose, a big fat joint in his mouth, a pint of wild Irish rose, and a 44 Magnum comes into Teen Challenge. Brother took it all away, dump him, so he's crazy, and I'm crazy, and I like crazy, so I liked Wayne. And me and Wayne hooked up together. Thank God he had to separate us later on. But Wayne was so crazy, so, so rebellious when he didn't like to anybody tell him what to do. One time me and Wayne are doing the dishes, true story. And the, and the, and the leader comes in and says, excuse me, you guys, you're not drying the dishes right. Before you put them away, I want you to do it over and dry the dishes. He goes, you got it. Guy walks out, so I wash him. He goes, here, Wayne. He goes, dry the dishes. I give him the Wayne, the dish to dry. Wayne opens up the back door and throws it in the woods. <laughs> he throws seven plates. That's Wayne. Kicked out of the program. I went after Wayne all the time. I hired him again. Finally, about 17 times, Wayne graduates Teen Challenge. 17 Teen Challenge program. I have a message called Loving the Lost. I use the acronyms for love, and one of his long-suffering. Amen. And sometimes you got to turn them away and keep them away. I had to tell my sister recently and one of their uh, their family members, I said, God told me until you disown them, God's never going to own them. But that's after years of him abusing them. But I didn't give up on Wayne, amen, because God didn't give up on me. And finally, Wayne gets saved and he goes to Bible college, amen. I go up to Wayne in Bible college. He opens the door. I know Wayne. And he comes up, he goes, Jimmy, we're at Central Bible College. He goes up and he goes, Jimmy, he goes, look, he opens up the door, there's leather couches. He goes, they're mine. And I know a little deeper than you know about Wayne. He brings me inside, refrigerator, there's steaks, milk, orange, Jimmy, they're mine. I'm not kidding, just like, you're mine. Opens up his wallet, credit cards, they're my names on those cards, Jimmy, I get it. Then he opens up his other door and there's his beautiful wife, Stacy. Then he opens up another door. And there's his little baby, Nicole. She's mine. Because when, G- Jane, when Wayne came into the program that day, November 3rd, Wayne lived in a homeless, in the street, in a high top on a roof with cardboard. And that's how he lived all his life. And when his girlfriend had the baby, the baby froze to death as she gave on that roof. And when Wayne said, that's mine... I said, Wayne, Jesus is awesome. Come on. Amen. Didn't give up on Wayne. Because he's never give up on you. My mother was one that was committed. She was a radical. My mother, unbelievable, committed. You failed not. She was one to love unconditionally. My mother became a civil rights activist. My father was in World War II. He, he was on his 13th mission over Germany. He was a tail gunner. A flying fortress, B-47, and he was, it was a payload. They dropped bombs. He was in a bomber, but his job was to tail, tail gun and shoot down enemy, enemy, uh, enemy planes and so forth. But he saw all the drums, all the bombs dropped. He was the only one that could see the damage. It tore him apart. But anyway, and then he shot down his 13 mission, plane shot down, parachute, and he shot in the legs. He lands. He's almost crippled, tortured, put in POW camp, walked 600 miles, and we won the war. My father was released, but he became an incredible athlete, went to Cortland University, Hall of Famer, became the first athletic director of Long Island with the largest school district. There was never an office of AD, athletic director. My father pioneered that. So that's a pretty cool, cool thing. Did other crazy things you wouldn't believe. My mother had civil rights, so we lived down the block from the black community, so the, uh, so the grocery stores, like back door over there, about that, my house was about that far, but on the other side was the black community, and that's where most of the black families would shop. My mother would shop there too, because my mother was colorblind. 
And my mother saw the oppression of the black people and fell in love with them, went to the Catholic Church and said, if there's any black families that need help, you call me. So the, so the Eggleston family, and this is before urban renewal, where they had houses, the house burnt down, and the Catholic Church calls my mother, true story, and, and says, can you help out the Eggleston family? It's a family of nine. You know, my mother said, move them in. So one morning we wake up, I'm five years old, the youngest, and we got black bodies all over the crib, all over the house. And we were like, what's up? That came from, people think the black folk got what's up. And that came from Jack filming, what's up? Like, what's up? We got in fights right away for the refrigerator for food. But anyway, then the, then the Catholic Church calls, true story. And they said, there's two Cuban refugees, Mrs. Jack, can you help them? They're stuck and lost in the, in the subway system. My mother goes, move them in. So we got the whole Eggerson family, we got the downstairs, we got the, uh, and then upstairs, no kidding, we got Roberto and Manuel, don't know English, and they're like, que pasa? So our family's absolutely crazy united, amen? And so when I grew up, I didn't know what I was. I always thought I was black, maybe I'm Spanish, I don't know. You know, people think, well, what are you, Jimmy Jack? It's not a nickname. I'm inside, I'm black, Spanish, and Italian. Outside, I'm full Scottish. That's a Scottish name, all right? I just don't wear the dress thing, you get it? But anyway... So we would have, we would throw down, man. We, cause I got, listen, I got, I got Muslims in the family, I got black, Spanish, Chinese, Moroccan. When we throw down on Thanksgiving, we throw down roscom pollo, platanos, pastelas. You don't know nothing about that. How about some, how about, <laughs> how about some fried chicken, collard greens, and black eyed peas, and trotters, and coll- Hey, listen, we throw down spaghetti and meatballs, ham and cabbage. Am I coming home? Am I hitting you yet? Hurry up, pastor, we're getting hungry. Anyway. So, long story short, my mother starts a civil rights movement. And what I'm about to tell you, many black families can't tell you this, or families in, in general. My mother started a civil rights movement in our living room, and she had the meetings there. And she initiated her team, Martin Luther King, to come to preach in three of our towns. The final meeting, Martin Luther King is coming to my house for the final meeting. It grew so big, we had to have it at the junior high school. They initiated him to preach three times. Rockwell Center had said, Lakeview, three weeks later, he was killed. Why do I say that? My mother was an incredible woman. Incredible woman. However, freedom isn't free. And because we didn't have Jesus, we only had a religion. The enemy came in and tore us apart. Let me tell you why you get attacked sometime. Because the devil peeps into your destiny and wants to hold you back. Why does it, why do you be quiet? Why aren't you full of courage and power? Cause you hear a voice from hell that says you don't have to say that. You don't have to be like that. All the devil wants is to put a lid on your leadership. Come on! This message is for those who ain't ashamed of the gospel. It's time to get out of the box. Homosexuals are out of the box. Adulterers are out of the box. Drunkards, pot smokers. It's time that the church gets out of the box, gets out of the closet. So real quick, my mother goes insane. Incredible stuff happened. We became all violent. We didn't know what we were. We're called white trash, black lovers, end lovers, all that. And and our family heard it. Listen, we believed it. We became it. Society came against us. I was the white community rejected us, black community accepted us, so I was raised in the black community most of my life. Third chapter of my book is a white boy in a black world. Fourth chapter is We Shall Overcome, my mother's story. Here's this warrior now and my father, both in mental institutes. Can't tell you the in-between. Hell broke out. Death, it was horrible. Horrible. And I'm the youngest. I'm in the hospital at 10 years old for 30 days with an ulcerated stomach. So I got motion sickness yesterday. I was driving. I got a weak stomach. But anyway, my mother's insane. Here's this warrior. And she became a a, a mummy. The doctors just got her addicted on drugs. She had a face, was ulcerated, ear was growing into her cheekbone, and she was addicted to every psychotropic you could think of, psychotropic. And so she had the marching syndrome where she would smoke four packs of cigarettes a day, and she just looked death warmed over, just death. And my father was, was uh, my mother had five electric shock treatments. My father had five electric shock, shock treatments. And so they were messed up. My father's in bed. And what was just very interesting, what would come, not interesting, it was divine. What would come out of my mother's mouth was this. Dribbling out of her mouth on drugs, smoking, she would say, my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. 
blew my mind. I would go up to her and say, Mommy, I knew what it was. I went to Catholic church. I went to Catholic school. It means the blessings of God. And I say, Mommy, we're all cursed. We're all cursed. So stop saying that. It would infuriate me. I get a call. I'm down the block and I get a call. Somebody runs up, says, Your mother's in the street. She's going nuts. And what happened, I came running up, and my mother's in the middle of a street in front of the house, and everybody knows us. We're just, and there she is on her knees crying out to God, the fanatical, insane mother crying out to God. I come up, yell at her, get in the house, or we'll put you back in that nut house. I yelled at her, screamed at her, and she went upstairs. But what was happening was a reaction of something that happened in her bedroom. She went upstairs to her bedroom and she was killing herself. She went up, got all the pills together. She knew exactly what she needed to overdose. And she was ready to consume it all and kill herself and end her life. She had enough. She couldn't take it anymore. But suddenly she turned on this little black and white TV. Remember back in the 70s? We only had five good channels, rabbit ears, aluminum foil on top. Focus that baby in. Well, she turned on one of those TVs and Billy Graham was preaching. And Billy Graham started to preach. You could be saved. It was the altar call. You could be saved. Your household could be saved. I don't care what you have, who you are. If you get on your knees and cry out to God, Jesus Christ will come in you and save you and your family. And that's when my mother went outside, Pastor. That's what she was doing outside. She was trying to cry out to God. I chased her back inside. We didn't know what's going on. Pause for a minute. Upstairs, my mother's hearing Billy Graham. The house starts shaking in her room. Downstairs, all hell is going out. We're killing ourselves. We're demon-possessed. But I want to tell you, when all hell breaks out, note that hell might be going on in your home, but outside, behind the scenes, there's a God that is working it all out. My mother fell on her knees, grabbed the bedpost for ten straight days. She prayed, God, heal me. Heal my family. Take away prejudice. Heal abortions. Heal divorce. Heal mental illness. And on the tenth day, my mother stepped out of the bedroom and was born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, and said, Devil, you're going to pay for this. Oh, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Boy, I knew I was in trouble. She became an ordained minister, 65 years old, Christ for the Nations. We had Christ for the Nations in Long Island. It closed down. My mother shot to Dallas and graduated. Not kidding. She was a fanatic. She was an incredible activist for Jesus now. Martin Luther King, now Jesus. We were in trouble. I'd be at the discos jamming with my girl, high on cocaine with Miriam, my wife, Puerto Rican, beautiful little... And I'd spin her like this. Me and Mary used to win the disco disco contest because of her, not me. But anyway, how many you know? You remember you guys used to try to be John Travolta and all. You remember you said, you know. So I did my thing, and she'd spin like a mat, like a top. And I'd do my move, check out everybody. Up, watch this. And I'd get ready to spin to catch her, and bam, it'd be my mother. My mother sneak into the disco. Jimmy, Jesus loves you. Jimmy, Jesus loves you. I said, Ma, leave me alone. Compassion with a commitment. Compassion with a commitment. Later on, I got so severe, I lived in the backseat of cars. I lived with dogs. I was so messed up. I had such, such, such inferiority complex. Because all those years, you're nothing but white trash. You're, so if I ever slept at your house, if you ever asked me to sleep at your house because I was homeless... I would go immediately to the basement. That's where I just felt more comfortable. I would sleep next to boilers. I just shot. I'm 26 years old, potential. I just messed up. Billy is my younger brother. We adopted him. His stories, everything I'm telling is in the book. And Billy's a heroin addict. I'm an alcoholic, heroin, cocaine, homeless, beat up van. We go into the lower east side of Manhattan. Somehow we hustled money. We got a bundle of dope, and so I, I helped Billy shoot four bags of heroin into his arm. We got this, cooked the heroin, and I got him a vein, and we shot four bags of heroin. I only did one bag, and instantly, Billy, last thing he said to me was, Jim, and he broke out of the door and fell on the ground. His back literally broke up in the wind. His body went into shock. I knew it was overdose. 
And I went jumping right out instantly. And I began to give a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, other things. When you're in the streets, you know how to resuscitate because you, you, you see that. But nothing. He wouldn't come back. I was crying and lifting his body up here and crying. I was so close to Billy, closer than a brother. Paramedics finally came. They said, what is this? I said, heroin overdose? They didn't care. They just stood there. Say like, it's too late. I said, it ain't too late. I said, open up that van, the ambulance. They opened up the back of the van, and I lifted up his dead body, and I brought him into the van, and I laid him in there, and I stepped back, and I said, you work on him. And I got on the side of the van, and I got on my knees, and I prayed to God of my mother. And I said, Jesus, you saved my mother. And I began to remember all the movies, the greatest story ever told, Easter, just everything flashes. And I said, God, if you bring Billy back to life, I promise you, I'll give my heart to you. I'll give my life to you. Don't let him die. Suddenly, a light shone down in that van, and Billy jumped out of the van, resurrected. I grabbed Billy, and Billy and I entered Brooklyn Teen Challenge, saved, born again, and became ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Went back to New York City with a vengeance. Satan, you're going to pay for this. Hallelujah. Compassion with a commitment. Finally, compassion with comfort. You can come up, worship team, in just a minute. But let me just talk about this comfort because it's on me. Listen, here's our scripture. And, and, and it's, 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 uh, it's the end of this beautiful scripture that, that Jesus uh, quotes in Isaiah 61. And... The spirit of the God, Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the broken heart and proclaim liberty to the captives and, and accept the year of the Lord. The day of vengeance of our God, watch this, to comfort. Say comfort with me. To comfort all who mourn. That's what we're called to do. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We're called to comfort others. Compassion with courage. Compassion with a commitment. Compassion with comfort. One of the best scriptures, most powerful scriptures that I believe for really winning somebody to the Lord and understanding it is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, chapter 3. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father. Watch this. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Watch this. Who comforts us in all our tribulations that we might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have been comforted by God. That's what we're called to do. Two questions I evangelize. If I was teaching an evangelism class, I would tell you I use this now for the last 10 years, 8 years. Two questions I ask people. I don't care who they are. I shock them. It was Donald Trump, whatever. I've preached to so many people. God's opened the doors. Liz Taylor, so many people. I Lindsay Lohan, I spent a whole week with her, ministering to her, preaching the gospel, brought it to an assembly of God church. She writes the scripture. You talk about ADD. Mike Lohan, he's born again. Mark Gaston, many, many crazy people. Sid, Sinbad, and all these are Ashman, Simpson. God, when you're, when you're open, God will just lead you. Lead you. Alice Cooper ministered to him when I was in Bible school. I heard he was in the, in this store and I ran right up to him and I preached the gospel to him. He's saved today. I don't know. But I bet you, I was, if he wasn't saved, I was one of those seven. I was one of those seven. Hey, man. And so, it, so, so when you have that comfort, that heart to comfort others, that's what we're called. Two questions I ask people and challenge them. I learned this from this incredible millionaire, almost a billionaire. And he was, he was, he was a judge and a lawyer, retired mansions all over Long Island, smart, genius guy. He brought his daughter in for me because his daughter's a heroin addict. And I'm ministering to her. She's 26. You know, I can identify with her. But I turned to him. I said, I need to speak to you if you want your daughter to help. What? I got to ask you two questions. This is the first time I did this. It just it was the Holy Ghost. Just the Holy Ghost driving. I said, what? I said, who are you? It's dead silence. Serious. Who are you? And why are you here? You know what he said? Man, that's deep. This guy's been there, done that, and has never been challenged to find out. 
who he really is. You know who I am? Child of God, created by God in his likeness and image. You know why I'm here? I'm here because God's got a divine purpose for my life. Not a, not a worry about the house and, and the car and the bank account. I just want to do God's will. I just want to comfort people. Come on, let's stand together. I want to pray for you. And I want to, I'm going to ask you to come up real quick for, for a minute with me. I want to pray on you that you'd be a soul winner. That you'd go home and be a light. Say, I'm a Christian for 50 years. Well, this message is for you. We are God of comfort. Amen? We're the, we're the, we, we comfort people. What's your name? What's that? Come here, Elaine. Help me. Elaine, have you ever been hurt before? Yes. And you know, what God does and how God heals us and he heals you is he does this. You hold this. All of us have this. Every one of you have this right now. Every one of you have it. Blessed be the God of Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercies and the Father of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves have been comforted by God. I told you what evangelism is, right? One one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. And all I got to do is just look her in the eyes, tell her, Elaine, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Now, Elaine, you go pass that on. The comfort God has for you. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you. How many here say, Pastor, this message touched me. It's for me. Raise your hand. Amen. I want you to come down here if you raise your hand. Just come here. Don't worry. I just want to pray a prayer over you. Come up for your family. Step out of your seat. And let's pray together. Amen. Let's let's pray we walk into our homes, into our business, into the marketplace. And we have the vibration of God protruding out of us. Come quickly. We want to pray for you and ask God's blessing on your life. Amen. Don't leave. Pastor's going to give you a word. Praise God. Wow. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Could you put your hand on your heart? Might be some of you in here today that you don't know Jesus or you know him, but there's a wall of sin. You know who you are. Today, God wants to move that. Some of us here have been so distracted, desensitized. You're not hearing the cry of those people on your scroll. You clear it out. Those people will come to you. Say this with me right now. Say this with me. Jesus, forgive me for any sin in my life that's blocking my heart from you. Wash me with your blood. As I stand here today, I proclaim I am a child of God. And my purpose is to do your will. To share the comfort that you comfort me with. To those who are in any trouble. I pray for the anointing. That anointing Jesus preached on. That anointing that sets the captive free. That anointing that heals the broken heart. That anointing that gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. In Jesus' name, I lift up my heart, my family, and my sphere of network in my life. I will be a light and a shining love of Jesus. Amen. Let's thank the Lord. Don't go anywhere, Pastor. Praise the Lord. It's For your holy. Sing it out. Praise you. Magnify you. Lord, we come and worship you. 
challenged this morning. Amen. Amen. You have a divine destiny, a divine purpose. And as you have heard so beautifully and eloquently shared this morning, both in word and testimony, you have a purpose. You've been given life to share life. And the ministry of Jimmy Jack. How many teen challenges now have been given under your responsibility, Jimmy? He has now, I mean, he's been given more teen challenge centers since a year ago when he was with us. He's been given, what, three more, four more? Three more. So six teen challenge centers that he has been given for his responsibility, his ministry, his leadership, to be able to provide life for life. You have been born again that you might spiritually resuscitate others. You have been given life to share life. And as we move into a new week, It's my prayer, and I pray it's your prayer, that the Holy Spirit will set your calendar, that the Holy Spirit will set your appointment book, that the Holy Spirit is going to bring people across your path that are hungry and thirsty for God, that the Holy Spirit is going to bring people across your path that are on a highway to hell, and God's going to use you to detour them to a highway to heaven. Amen? I know Jimmy has just prayed over you and we're going to ask for the ushers to get ready and I'm going to have to get you in some kind of semblance so we can take an offering. I, I, you know, 16 challenge centers. I want to make sure he goes home blessed. And I know you want to speak into his ministry. And so I'm going to need you to get in, you know, rob somebody's seat. Uh, whatever, you don't have to go way back up in the balcony if you came down from the balcony. But uh, we want to receive a love offering. But before we do, before we do this morning, let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we recognize that we've been given a divine destiny, a divine purpose. If you believe that, lift up your hand. Lord, see this hand that's stretched towards you. Lord, at times we're afraid of people. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being laughed at, ridiculed, mocked, or sidelined. We're afraid many times to tell people about Jesus. But Lord, we know it's our calling, it's our destiny. And Lord, on that day of days, we want to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So Lord, I lift up my hand towards you as a sign that I'm available. And I want you to set my appointment book. That Lord, this week, this week, you're going to bring somebody across my path that I can share life with. Eternal life in Jesus. Now even now, O Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me, equip me to be a blessing to you. And Lord, help us as a church speak in to Jimmy Jack's life and ministry and bless these Teen Challenge centers. Help us as we give in this love offering, use it for your work, for your glory. We speak it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.
and amen. 